Greetings, everyone. I'm thankful for all those who have used their gifts so wondrously in this service. I'm also thankful for y'all. Y'all are singing out and sounding good. So it's good to see familiar faces and new faces here today, and I want to offer my own personal warm welcome to this special service on this special day. There's a whole handful of reasons someone might be here today. Maybe you're here today because this is where you come every Sunday, or this is where you come every Christmas Eve. Or you may be a guest and you're here because you're visiting family or friends in Richmond. Maybe you're a college student, home on break. Or maybe you're here because you've had this feeling, maybe for the first time in a long time, that Christmas has to be, Christmas should be something more than a holiday manufactured by a corporate marketing department. But whatever your story is, we are so glad that you are here worshiping with us. And so let me start today, fittingly enough, by telling someone else's story, which is a Christmas story of sorts. When Robert Louis Stevenson, who would grow up to be the famous author of such classics as Treasure Island and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. When Stevenson was a boy in England, there was a winter night when he was mesmerized at his bedroom window, nose pressed up against the cold glass. And this was in the days of gas street lamps, and he was watching the old lamplighter slowly working his way through the black night, lighting each lamp in his path. And Stevenson looked out the window and saw him and, and pointed at him and yelled to the house, everybody come out here and look, look, there's a man poking holes in the darkness. Poking holes in the darkness. It's a fitting image for the Advent season. Because one of the great delights of this season is that all around us, Christmas lights are poking tiny holes in the ever-growing night. And i got to confess, I love Christmas lights. As Dr. Seuss might say, I love them on houses, I love them on trees, I love them on bushes, and I love them on wreaths. I even love them on inflatables as long as those inflatables are in your front yard. <laughs> I just think more lights the better. I can remember as a kid I used to curl up under the Christmas tree for hours and just stare up into the lights. In fact, I'm a sucker for all kinds of Christmas sentiment and nostalgia. I love the old Christmas hymns, many of which we're singing today. I love holiday songs about Rudolph and Frosty and Santa. I love the songs that are sung by Nat King Cole and Mitch Miller and Taylor Swift. And I love Christmas movies. I like The Grinch, Home Alone, Polar Express. I'm a senior pastor is partial to Elf, but I've got to confess I'm particularly fond of the Christmas classic Die Hard. So we're going to have a breakout session afterwards, and we're going to be talking about whether Die Hard's a Christmas movie, and I'll just, spoiler alert, it is. So I love all this stuff. I am by no means a holiday hater, 
But even while enjoying all of that, I also know that there are some kinds of darkness that cannot be chased off by mere holiday cheer or lights on a tree. Because you may be like me this year and have friends or family in the hospital or recuperating at home. And for some, there's an empty chair around the Christmas table that's reflective of an even emptier place in your heart. For others, this season is one of heartbreak and loneliness and disappointment. And even if we turn those awesome Christmas songs all the way up, we can still hear the groaning of war and violence and injustice and poverty. Those real things from the real world reflect a real darkness, the kind of gloom that is impervious to nostalgia and sentiment and fake holiday magic. Now you might hear all that and even agree with some of that, but still think to yourself, why do you have to talk about that today? Isn't Christmas, and particularly Christmas Eve, about pretending even for just a little while that those things don't exist? Now that's certainly what the frenzy of consumer Christmas would suggest that we should distract ourselves from reality with gingerbread lattes and getting and spending. But real Advent, it knows nothing about that kind of denial. And real Christmas is all about the way things really are. Indeed, the Bible describes Christmas, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, as a drama of both darkness and light. The prophecy of Christ in Isaiah 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Thousands of years ago, Isaiah was talking to us, about us. And in his gospel, the apostle John describes the fulfillment of that prophecy, the arrival of Jesus in the world, with this. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Christmas, real Christmas, stares straight into the darkness, acknowledges it, but promises a real, life-giving, overcoming light. This season is not about shrinking from the shadows that surround us. It's about living into the tension between the waning night and the coming dawn between what is and what will be. Advent is about waiting and watching for the appearance of Christ, the one who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Because when Jesus was born, 
God poked a hole in the darkness of this world, the darkness that said that God doesn't exist or that he doesn't care about us or that he's abandoned us. When Jesus preached the kingdom of God, he poked a hole through the darkness that shrouds our imaginations, corrupts our desires, and blinds us to the truth. When Jesus touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable, he poked a hole through the darkness that separates us from God, showing that he is still seeking the lost, still welcoming the wanderer, still proving that you can come home to God. And when Jesus went to the cross and into the grave and rose again from the dead, he poked a hole through the darkness of sin and death, the deceitful darkness that says God's love is not strong enough to get to you, that his mercy isn't strong enough to save you, that faith is a fiction and that justice, justice is never going to come. Because of Christmas, the real Christmas, the light of Jesus Christ now shines into the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And this light, this unconquerable life has come into the world. So in this Advent season, we are uniquely called to watchful, active waiting. And you may ask, and you should ask, okay, what does that look like? How can we possibly participate in what God is doing at Christmas? How can we be like those lamplighters that Stevenson saw poking holes in the darkness? Well, pastor, theologian, and author Fleming Rutledge offers an elegant answer when she says, every step we take in this world is a step towards either darkness or light. Every harsh word, every mean act, every vengeful thought is part of the works of darkness. And every act of forgiveness, every small act of charity, every temptation resisted, is a piece of the armor of light. And in her book, Advent, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ, Rutledge recounts an incident that took place in the suburbs outside of Philadelphia. In a residential neighborhood that ended in a couple cul-de-sacs, you know, the kind of place that many of you live and most of us drive through or drive by every day. In that neighborhood, there were 18 homes. And it was December, and many of the houses were lit up with Christmas lights. But in one house, where a Jewish family lived, there was an electric menorah burning brightly in the front window in celebration of Hanukkah. And one night, vandals crept into the front yard, smashed the window, grabbed the menorah, broke it in pieces and threw it on the ground, and then sprayed hateful graffiti all over the front of the house. Darkness, real, active darkness, was at work right there in the middle of Advent, right there in the middle of a place that all of us would call home. The next morning in a house just around the block, a Christian neighbor, Margie Alexander, woke up to the terrible news of what had happened. 
And she said to herself, we have got to do something. And so she personally paid a visit to that Jewish family. She knocked on the door. She sat down with them. She talked with them. She grieved with them. And then she got an idea, and she got to work. She called her neighbors and got them to call other neighbors. She went to a half dozen stores, went online, scoured shelves, shelled out her own money. And in the late afternoon, she and her neighbors dropped by and dropped off at every house in the neighborhood. And that night, the very next night after that awful act of hatred and meanness, every home in the neighborhood, Jewish, Christian, secular, every single home had an electric menorah burning brightly in the front window. Can you even imagine it? As Rutledge observes in her book, a lot of little actions, little decisions, little sacrifices had to be made before all those menorahs went up in all those windows. Lots of different people had to make deliberate and intentional choices to help or not to help. People had to choose to be lamplighters, to poke holes in the darkness or to simply fade into and become part of the darkness. All of us, each of us, every one of us is called to active watching and waiting as God's kingdom breaks into the world around us. None of us know what today will bring or none of us know what tomorrow will bring and what chance we might have to participate in the new thing the light thing that God is doing in this world. But we do know this, with the birth of Christ, and with the life of Christ, and with the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, a victorious and gentle light has dawned into this night-bound world. And church, morning is most definitely coming. When Christ returns and finally and forever tears down and tears to shred the curtain of darkness, even now, at this very moment, in this very place, the Spirit of Christ is at work, inviting us, wooing us, whispering to us in our pleasures and shouting to us in our pains for the church to be the church, to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify not you, but your Father in heaven. And it's all because at Christmas and in the loving person of Jesus Christ, God poked a hole in our darkness. Amen and Merry Christmas. We're going to continue worshiping now. And during this next song, I want everybody to come forward and pick up a candle because we're going to actually get to act out what it is to poke holes in the darkness this evening. 
So during this next song, the folks in the center section, if you'll come down the center aisle, grab a candle, you can exit to the side, go all the way back and just fill in your seats you were in before from the back. And the folks in the outer sections, if you'll come down that aisle and grab a candle from that table, folks in this section, these two sections, come down that aisle, again, exit to the side, go to the back and come back and fill in. And we are going to, on the last song in the service, share that light of Christ. And so if there's at any time in this service that you'd like to, to pray, we have a prayer station over there. You can light a candle and do that. If the Spirit of Christ is at work on you and you'd like to know more about what it's like to follow him, if you'd like to pray with somebody, I'll be up front down here. You can just come up and I'd love to pray with you. But from now and the rest of the songs we sing, let's just respond as the Holy Spirit leads. <laughs>